Welcome. This is One Hour of Sunshine, and I'm your host, Megan Joy Haverda. We are filming out of the Sandbox in Santa Barbara, California, a co-working hub for entrepreneurs and change makers. This show is for business leaders that are willing to admit that they use their intuition to make business decisions and to navigate their lives. This show will elevate and normalize intuitive skills in the workplace and allow such skills to be seen as great assets in our companies, organizations, communities, and families. Our guest today is Patricia DiOrio, a futurist regarding all things quantum physics and spiritual. We'll be speaking with her in a moment, so stay tuned for her story as an intuitive in life and business. Every show, I share an intuition of the day. So the day before I sit or the morning of the show, I sit and I say, okay, what needs to be shared today? And you're going to laugh because we had a conversation this morning and I wrote this yesterday. So the intuition of the day today has to do with forgiveness. So often something will happen and we want to shake it off and ignore the heavy feelings or run. And for me, I've realized that true and thorough forgiveness happens in layers. Imagine a Bermuda onion, magenta layers and layers and peeling until you get to that sweet little white core. So if any of you in the audience are in the process of forgiving, be diligent, take responsibility, but give yourself time, a wide lane, and plenty of compassion. True healing is a process. (laughs) I love that we just spoke about this this morning. We're so close. So, welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much, Megan. Congratulations <laughs> on this great show. Thank you. Really, I've enjoyed the episodes that I've watched. <laughs> well, we were just joking as we were setting up for the show that uh, we're both from Connecticut and that you can take the girl out of Connecticut, but you can't take Connecticut out of the girl. <laughs> and it's right. so true. <laughs> I love uh, the little quirks that you and I have in common. We met almost 14 years ago through the Conscious Evolution Network, which was started by Barbara Marks Hubbard, um, a very interesting, also a futurist. Her mentor was Teilhard de Chardin. Um, She ran for Vice President of the United States of America, and she's really pioneered a lot of spiritual thought and um, thinking, and I was lucky enough to meet you there in that in that realm, and I moved to, I moved here in 2003, and I'm pretty sure I met you that very year that I moved here. Yes. Yeah, it's been a long time. Hard to what believe. What a gift. I know. <laughs> we stayed friends that whole time. <laughs> so today, um, we are going to talk about uh, the word work, your life, and I just want to say before you introduce the word work, two things. One, um, the work that you brought to my life. You've always brought me gems and gifts and read this book and go to this, you know, event and you're always bringing the next and newest thing to everyone that you know and love. And that is, you're Some such... I don't necessarily. Well, you're yeah. such an academic. You're such, <laughs> you're a spiritual academic. You're researching and you're always finding the next thing. And I just love that about you. Um... But the work that you brought to me regarding Paul Selig and the word work, the book itself, really resurrected me out of one of the hardest times of my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I will share more about that as we talk. 
and um, I guess I guess starting with the question of when did you decipher in your life the difference between ego and intuition? Mm-hmm. Some of my guests have said, I've always run my life by intuition. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, even though I saw ghosts as a baby, as a child and always had skills, quote unquote, I, it took me time to really trust my intuition. So at what point in your life did you start discerning and knowing the difference who who was who was leading who was talking in your head well um i think i came into this lifetime with uh an, just an unreasonable passion for god's spirit the source the unknowable unnameable whatever you know and that has never left me, right? So to me, I equate that knowingness that I have in my every cell of my body with, um, with intuition, with spirit, with knowing that I wasn't just this human, human person having this spiritual experience. Uh, I, that I indeed, without the human experience, I was part of this unknowable, unnameable, ineffable force know that people call God but I hesitate to use the word God because over the years it's become like a dirty word when people say God they they think of so many things that are not necessarily positive depending on how they were raised in religion Mm -hmm. and I share this because uh, despite the fact that I've always had this knowing in my very heart as a little girl around the age six I was totally embroiled in Catholicism I was going to catechism and learning all about mortal sins, and this was in the 50s. So that was a rough time for Catholics because eating meat on Friday was a mortal sin. (laughs) Not going to church on Sunday was a mortal sin. And then when they got to questions around sexuality and and thinking that I was maybe six or seven at the time, just having an impure thought was a mortal sin. Or if you touched yourself or touched anyone else or let anyone touch you, it was a mortal sin. And mortal sins were drummed into us at the time that if you commit a mortal sin, you're doomed. Not only will you burn in hell forever when you drop the body, but worse than that, that God will never love you again. Now, as a little girl, there's a place in me that never really lost the connection to God, but in my human experience and in my mind... I believed them. Yeah. And yeah. I had an experience at seven where I was molested by a school janitor. And it was incredibly traumatic because uh, I I didn't know how to handle it. And, I, you know, I'm going to take a risk now and be really transparent with your audience because mm-hmm. this is this is when I tell my story because I'm in the midst now of, of working on a, yeah. a new venture, which is to become a paid professional speaker, yeah. bringing mindfulness and spirituality to the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And I won't always include this piece, but I want to include it for your audience, especially those uh, who are listening, who are healers. Yeah. Because uh, in this particular situation at seven, I was molested by the school janitor, and I actually had an orgasm. And I didn't even know what an orgasm was. Yeah. So I had this orgasm that was exquisite pleasure collapsed with unfathomable shame because I knew 
that I had committed a mortal sin. So I was completely engulfed with guilt and shame. And it was so traumatic for me that I buried it deeply within my subconscious. And uh, it only demonstrated through PTSD symptom of called trichotillomania, which is pulling out of body hair. And for me, it was pulling out of all my eyelashes, uh, which I did obsessively every day as a child. And growing up for 30 years, I did it. And I never knew why I did it. I just thought I had some type of a weird neurosis. Fetish, yeah. Right, you know, and I compared myself to other people, and I just thought that I was really messed up. And the interesting thing is that I hid behind this mask of having my act together and, you know, being smart and, and pretty and all these things growing up. But behind it, behind that mask, I truly felt that I was undeserving yeah. and unworthy and that I would never really be successful, nor would I deserve success or money or any of the things that we would, that we strive for, especially during that time growing up. You know, not that success isn't something that we strive for today, but <clears throat> it was very... A very materialistic focus when, and, when I grew and up. And you stuffed it so deep you did not discuss it with your mother? No, I did not. Okay. I did not tell my mom. I did not tell anyone. You know, when it happened, it was so traumatic to me. Not to, not, not only did I not tell anyone, I didn't own it myself yeah, and I just yeah. repressed it. And if it weren't for the fact that I demonstrated this PTSD symptom of pulling out of my eyelashes, I would have never known because... 30 years later, in 1983, when I was 37 years old, I was director of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Ventura County. I'd been very much involved in the Big Brothers Big Sisters movement from my master's degree on. And uh, I was concerned about the kids because programs like Scouts and Big Brothers Big Sisters or Girls and Boys Club, they're they're magnets for pedophiles Mm, because this mm. is where people adults can be alone with children and take advantage of them Mm. and here on an intuitive talk about intuition on intuitive level i knew that i had to keep our kids safe yeah right so i hired a woman with a concentration in molestation prevention she Mm. had just graduated with her msw and uh we developed this program together about six months into her hiring she was going to make a match with a big brother with a big sister and a little sister and she said you know patricia i'm going to wait until September to make the match with Janie because she's going to spend the summer with her dad and I would rather have her start the school year and the match at the same time instead of this big break over, you know, a two and a half months break. So I said, fine. Fast forward to September. I always sit in on all the matches that were made. And she said, Patricia, I went to match Janie yesterday and I have to tell you, I think she was molested by her father or someone in her father's house. And we're mandated reporters nonprofits and what do you base that allegation on I right. said we ha- I have to report this just because you said it I have to report it what do you base that on she said in 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 June this little girl had the most beautiful eyelashes oh god and yesterday oh, when I went oh, to match chills. her her eyelids were completely naked because she <sighs> had pulled them all out and this is a classic symptom of molestation well <laughs> I sat back in my chair and I'm sure the color drained from my face I excused myself, I ran to the bathroom, I held on to the sink, and I looked wide-eyed into the mirror, not knowing whether I was going to throw up or pass out. And all of a sudden, it came rushing over me. Oh, my God. 
I was molested, which is why I have been demonstrating this neurotic behavior my whole life, not even knowing why. So that was a turning point for me. And that's when I really became conscious that we have choice, that we can make a conscious choice in the moment. And as a little girl, I had taken all the dogma of the church and took it as truth. Yeah, many do. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And with this revelation that came when I was 37, uh, I there was a turning point for me. I'll tell you t- briefly the story. I was in therapy at the time, and I called my therapist immediately, and she said, oh, I'd have never taken you as a molest victim. So we set up an appointment immediately. She hypnotized me. I went very deep, and she said, now just, just watch what you're going to be on an elevator and you're going to get down at the floor of the age you thought it happened which I thought was like seven Mm. so she says you'll just see like you're watching a movie frames of a movie and I was very deeply hypnotized and uh when I got down to a the door opened and when I was like seven and what I saw was my elementary school. I saw myself walking up to the school. I saw the janitor. I saw him talking to me. I saw every single thing that happened without getting into the graphic of it, but I saw it all. And my therapist said to me, don't ever, ever doubt that this happened. Mm -hmm. After I saw it all, I just wept. And this time I didn't weep I wept for that little girl that yeah. couldn't have wept at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I wept and the shame Double and weeping. guilt flooded me again, but mm-hmm. I realized that this was the turning point for me. And that's when I made the decision that I would choose what my life would be like now. You know, I wouldn't be at the effect of dogma. Yeah. And that's what led me to be a very avid spiritual seeker, which led me to the science piece. And yeah. Why yeah. science? Because science corroborates spirituality. Yeah. Science is catching up with spirituality. Spirituality has always been there. Right. Because we're all spiritual beings having a human experience from the very beginning. And more and more people are waking up to that fact, which is why you and I do what we do. Yeah. Because we want to assist people in waking up to the truth of our identity. Yeah. That we're all spiritual beings in physical form and we're creators of our reality. So latching onto the whole quantum physics piece really led me to the work that I that I've been doing as a as a spiritual counselor and coach yeah. and Yeah. And you have your teacher. fabulous T V show. I have a show that is very fun. In nineteen ninety six, uh, I left I retired early from social work and I began my practice as a spiritual counselor as a reader of the tarot, which is very interesting, because I went from the director of Catholic Charities. <laughs> I was ca- I was director of Catholic Charities at the time, because I had left Big Brothers and then had taken on Catholic Charities. And I went from the director of Catholic Charities of Santa Barbara County to a spiritual counselor working with tarot cards. And that was like, oh, my God, that was, <laughs> it was about as opposite as you could get. Well, and I really believe that the tarot choose the readers. You know, not everybody can read them. And you introduced them to me. I always thought, oh, blah, 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 that's nice, whatever. And you introduced the tarot to me. And the tarot were like, blah, blah, blah. I could hear them talking to me. So <laughs> tarot chooses us. It's very powerful. And tarot, there's no power in cards. Cards yeah. are pieces of paper yeah. with pictures on them. And it doesn't make any difference the deck you use. I happen to work with a with a deck uh, called the Voyager deck, and I trained with the man that wrote it, Dr. James Wanless. 
and it's been a tremendous tool. Yeah. What do cards do? They reflect what's going on in our own intuition. Yeah. So when someone comes to me and they have a question about a relationship or their health or finances or whatever's up for them, you know, I say to them, well, go within and ask that question. Yeah. You know, is it appropriate for me to be with this partner? Or what can I do to bring in the right partner? Or what is the most powerful thing I can do to bring in my soul's work, my soul's joy? Yeah. Ask that question of the place in you that has your answer. You can call it intuition. Barbara Marks Hubbard called it the essential self. People call it the higher self. And in the word work, they call it the Christ itself. Yeah. So it's that place in us that's been guiding us from the very beginning. And when we listen we are moved in the right direction. So my clients will ask that question within themselves and then they'll intuitively pick a card face down. They never see the cards face up. And then I will interpret it. And I've been working with this deck for 22 years. And I know it in the dark. (laughs) And uh, I I work with guides. I work with my guides and I hear them. I hear them say whatever they need, whatever the guidance is that's coming through me for my client. So I work have a very intimate relationship with my guides so um and then you got more guides through Melchizedek do you want to talk about that yes <laughs> uh you know for in addition to doing 300 television shows in the 90s through 1996 to 2008 then I took a, a break and I began another show in 2012 that I've been doing now for four years called Get Conscious Now. And mm-hmm. people can check it out on YouTube.com, Get Conscious Now. We'll if you share want to see all the shows. Yep, absolutely. And I've been on the show. <laughs> yes, you've been Very on the show. Very fun show. show on the millennials. But. Um, in addition to doing the show, I, as a spiritual counselor, would have what I call practical spirituality circles. And these were opportunities for people to come in in small little pods of people and focus on how can I bring spirituality into my daily life so it's practical. Yeah. You know, so I'm actually, I'm not just giving it lip service. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah. You know, I am the divine in human form. And I have this innate immeasurable power to create my reality. And I'm doing it all the time. Whether I, whether I know it or not, or like it or not, I'm doing it because our thoughts, yeah. science tells us, are continually impacting the quantum field. And the magnetism of our feelings and the electricity of our thinking, of our thoughts, are the components of manifestation. Yeah. And I've interviewed many fabulous people, Joe Dispenza, one of them, and he says, thoughts are electric, emotions are magnetic. When we can align a, a positive thought with a positive feeling, that electricity and that magnetism cause it to actually happen. Beautiful. So this was my work for many years, uh, having these circles. I did about 20 circles around the time uh, that that the book came into my life. And on my 70th birthday, I'm going to go ahead and reveal my age here. <laughs> on my 70th birthday, I did what I call shake my fist at God. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hey. This is not what I thought it would be. <laughs> what about me? I'm helping yeah. all of these people yeah. to to move in their spiritual life. I want to know what's next for me. What's my next level? That very day, Stu Zimmerman, the fellow that, yeah. that hosts my show with me, says, Patricia, you need to get this book. It's called <laughs> I Am the Word. He didn't even give me the book for my birthday. He just said, get the book. Go get it. <laughs> and you know, this has never happened to me before, but I had a a visceral feeling in my solar plexus when I heard him say, I am the word. 
and I pay attention to my body. I call our bodies nerve endings of God dipped in matter. <laughs> <laughs> and I listened and I went. So I called up Teresa Taylor, Paradise Found, our local bookstore here. Great bookstore. And I asked her, have you ever heard of this book? She goes, never heard of it. I said, order it for me. So she ordered it for me. And I went down and I picked it up. And this is the book here. I went down and I, I don't know if, if, I, if our <laughs> audience can see it. I went down and I, and I got the book and I immediately felt it. Yeah. I felt the, there was energy around the book. I, I felt the same way with my book. I almost felt like my book was glowing at night by my bedstand. Yes, <laughs> truly. And I can <laughs> tell you stories about that yeah. with my clients. Yeah. So... I got this book and I just loved it immediately. I loved the way it felt. I loved the quality of the pages and I could not get enough of it. I read it voraciously. And this book, if anyone has ever read The, read the Course in Miracles, this is like The Course in Miracles. You don't read The Course in Miracles voraciously. You can spend an entire hour on one little paragraph. Yeah. But I was ready for this and Spirit brought it to me. Yeah. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I had the most amazing experiences. My life changed from 2015 until now. And the most incredible people, events, and circumstances yeah. have come into my life that are moving me forward to do my work, which is, I think, to inspire humanity to wake up to the truth of who we truly are. Yeah. Megan, what if everybody <laughs> on the planet knew unequivocally that we were all energy beings in physical form, that this was an optical delusion of consciousness that we were all creating with our thinking, that we had this innate immeasurable power to create whatever we wanted personally and collectively. If everybody knew that and we could come together as a humanity collectively with love and compassion and non-judgment and, collaboration. and forgiveness and collaboration and synergy, yeah. not only would we create fabulous lives for ourselves individually, but collectively we would come together and build a resonant field of awakening yeah. to the point where we could have heaven on earth. And I'd and like to see it in my lifetime. I would too. And we would take much better care of the environment because we would remember that we are nature. Everything is electricity and magnetism and atoms, and we're all the same. We're all the same. Plants, animals, birds, you, me. Right. We're all the same. <laughs> and you know, the interesting thing, and I like to share this when I, when I teach, people don't understand what the what the quantum atom is you know the, you have the newtonian atom and you have the quantum atom the newtonian atom uh has you know the protons and the electrons and the mm -hmm. nucleus and all of that but if you look at the picture of uh, a quantum atom you just see a lot of fuzz inside <laughs> a circle you know and there's like a little tiny dot in the center of it because atoms of which we're made are uh, comprised of 99.99999% wave or energy and 0.00000% particle. So we have all of this... Limitless possibility. Limitless possibility. Yeah. And then we have 0.00001% particle. But where does most of humanity live? In the particle. We live in the particle. Lumping around. Thinking that our life is like this <laughs> instead of looking at the possibility. Yeah. So when we understand that we have all of this possibility accessible to us and all it needs to be done is harnessed through intention. Energy follows intention. Yeah. When we have, when we have an intention to bring in the right partner, to be financially free, or to have radiant health and ageless beauty, to... Um, 
whatever it is that we want to desire, because this is a this is a recreational universe. We're here to have a good time. We're not here to suffer. Like the Buddha said, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Right. You know, I mean, we do have pain because it's a part of the of of um, the whole polarities of, of living in this in appreciating non pain. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we yeah. need to have that polarity in yeah. order to appreciate the opposite. Um, but when we can understand that science, we're talking science, proven science, the work of Einstein, Max Planck, John Wheeler, who was the oldest living colleague of Einstein, and all of the other quantum physicists that have come behind them. You know, all of Einstein's colleagues, Max Planck, Heisenberg, Schrodinger, uh, all of the quantum physicists of the day when it was just starting out, when the atom, when the subatomic particle was just discovered, uh, they couldn't prove it to the satisfaction of theoretical physics, physicists because the fact is that there's no materiality in an yeah. atom. If you look at this table under a dark field microscope, you're going to see empty space. And all of this empty space that we think is empty is not empty. It's filled yeah. with an infinite number of subatomic particles, which Deepak Chopra calls the stuff of creation. Yeah. So here we have the stuff of creation, <laughs> everything we could possibly desire to create. And all we have to do is focus our attention on it. Energy follows intention. And then what happens, you know, especially if our emotions are aligned with the thought, it's going to manifest. Yeah. And people are doing it all the time. Yeah. But they don't realize it. So they're, they're a victim of their own negative thinking. We yeah. walk around being a victim of our own negative thinking. Yeah. And our work, <clears throat> especially with the word work, is to be present to when we're having a negative thought. Yeah. Because when we can be present to, to a negative thought, we can observe it. And that's the work of John Wheeler, yeah. who said you need to have the observer, yeah. observer yeah. in order for whatever it yeah. is to yeah. show up. Yeah. So when we can observe a negative pattern, especially if it's a negative pattern that we've had over and over in our lives, then we can change it. It wasn't until I discovered at 37 years old that I had had this negative pattern. Right. As pulling default. out my eyelashes yeah. for all that time, hiding behind glasses and and being ashamed of it, but then putting on this mask of you know having my act together because I was smart, you know, and I had my I had my own natural talent. Yeah, I didn't believe that I was those things, but I hid behind them. Yeah. Once I discovered what had happened to me, all bets were off. Yeah. Then I went, oh, I've been continually causing this pain in my life by thinking this over and over and over again. Yeah. Now I'm not. Well, and I think that when when we come to the point in our life where we really can witness and observe, that's one of those milestones where the ego starts losing power. To unravel. Losing, yeah, losing footage, uh, footing, and we really get to say, oh, the gig is up. <laughs> the gig is up. And, you know, we can't kill off the ego. We no. need the ego to be here. Ego yeah. mind personality is a part of our ability to navigate the human experience. Yeah. We the can't navigate experience. the human experience. But the ego running the show is like a two-year-old wearing the clothes of the parents trying to drive the car. Oh, is it ever. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to align with our divinity, align with the true nature of who we are, spirit and form, the divine in form. Uh, spiritual beings having human experience. I know that's been my mantra for all these years. and yeah. uh, But it's so true. Yeah. When we can align with that, 
then yeah. we can start making conscious decisions about how we want our life to go. And that's what my work is about. It's yeah. about p helping people to A, own their power, who they truly are, B, get very clear on what they want, C, pay attention to the negative patterns that come up that sabotage our happiness, and change them. Make a conscious decision to change the thought. Yeah. When we change the thought, we change the experience. Yeah. To, we need to trust, to trust, trust, trust that everything that we need is in the now moment. Well, the past I, is in the past, the future is in the future, but the truth is the only moment we have is now. So when we, Now, 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 now. <laughs> when we don't know that and we worry about the past happening in the future, what are we doing? We're putting that worry, that fear, that doubt in the now moment and causing it to happen in the future. Yeah. That's why being present and being the silent witness and being the observer is so critical in our process. Yeah. Well, and I think it would be really helpful for the audience if one of us, preferably you, <laughs> talks about the, a hard time, a health time, an emotional time, whatever the hard example is and how the word work, how what you and I have learned out of that book and through your life, how you have learned to rise through those hard moments because they happen. We have health issues. We're, you know, we're sensitive little beings in these sensitive little bodies and, and sometimes we get our feelings hurt out in life. And, you know, so how has this work helped you rise above in difficult Times. Okay, so I'm going to turn that right around to you. Jenny. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about uh, what happened right before you started the word work with me. Okay. And that was around the time that you moved in. Yeah. Store to me yes. as well. It was all synchronistically the way it was happening. Yes. I had already approached you about being in my next circle. My and next I was thinking circle. about you it. We were thinking about it. <laughs> and then I can remember so well, like it was yesterday, sitting in my driveway, looking up at this for rent sign in this beautiful apartment. And you're on the phone with me. And, and we had gotten mixed up in our appointment yeah. times because you were coming for an interview for yes. the circle. Yes. And you said, oh, I can't make it because I have to find a place to live. And and I'm looking at the rent sign. I said, guess what, Megan? It's right here. Right. So share, share about And you work. called the landlord and said, she's really great. Just let her, let her through the door. That was Friday. You yeah. moved in Monday. I did. It was <laughs> it's a beautiful Full place. ocean views. Yes. Thank you. That was extraordinary. But you were in a really difficult time with your the father of Teo, yes. the little boy. Share yes. a little bit about that and how very, the word work helped you. I was very heartbroken. Um, it was not a good breakup. There was not a lot of communication at all. Um, we were in a court case. It was sad. It was devastating. And I felt abandoned. And uh, I knew deep down we loved each other very much. But for a myriad of reasons, we really had a difficult time. And I was just praying and praying and praying for a breakthrough, praying for a way to reestablish lines of communication with him. And he had moved away 45 minutes away. It was quite a distance. And, you know, our son was only one and a half. Um, so it was just kind of reinvigorated trauma every time he would pick up the baby or I would drop the baby off. And I said, okay, I can't live this way. We've got to, we've got to up-level this experience. There has to be a breakthrough. There has to be a way. I do still love him. I know that we can be great co-parents. And so then I said yes to your your circle. 
And I thought, okay, it's a book group, but you know, Patricia's always on to something. I'm sure it's going to be very deep and very impactful. And I'm swan diving into this process. And so I did, and I just cried a lot. And I read the book, and I read all the precious um, decrees decrees that are said. And and for the audience, you know, Paul Selig is a channel, and he was approached by Melchizedek, who basically, you know, were very, very close to God, Jesus, and in the back in the day. And now they're here to guide and help human beings to have a better life and have a spiritual life and not feel abandoned and not feel left. So whenever a human being says, okay, Melchizedek, I'm listening, boy, do they say a lot. Boy, do they offer a lot of support in, in obvious and subtle ways. So I suddenly felt like I had this whole team, <laughs> including you at our circle and Melchizedek and all the guides um, around me, around me at night when I was crying, around me, you know, driving to drop off the baby. I never felt alone. And so with that support and the guidance of the book, I not only remembered my own connection to to spirit and to limitless possibilities, but I really got in touch with compassion and forgiveness for both he and I, for all that we did, for all that we didn't do, for all that we said, for all that we didn't say, you know, just the whole ball of wax, um, a very, very big pink bubble of compassion and forgiveness. It felt like surrounded me. So one day we were chatting and one of our friends said, you know, send him the book, send him the book. Just don't even say who it's from. Send the baby's father the book. And I did. And we cleared up our entire case within, I want to say, two weeks, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, He read about 50 pages, he said. But I honestly think that some things have vibratory power. Well, this does. This is what makes this different from any other body of work. And and it was at his house. So even it just being there, and even he knew it was from me, I'm sure. So even the grace of reaching out in that gentle, um, quiet, loving way calmed all the the frenetic energy that had been in the past. I think the most important thing that I would like to share with your audience is that that first of all the book is channeled and the author the authors are what they in the first book they identify themselves as ascended masters yeah uh, as in Jesus Mary you know there's an infinite number of ascended masters the Kuan yeah. Yin yeah. Duakul you know Saint Germain all of these masters that we've heard about in our spiritual studies over the years and um, in the it's not until the fourth book that they actually give their name as Melchizedek and Melchizedek is like an order of divine beings that have that are also on their path of creativity and evolution and their their assignment is to work with humanity to help us through this transitional time they come through Paul Selig and Paul is a, a playwright from NYU and an empath and had an experience as a young man that opened him up to this channeling experience, which he resisted like crazy for a while. He really dug his heels in. But they now have five books out. The sixth one is coming out next year, and there's a seventh one. Oh, thank goodness. I've read them all. (laughs) I know. I know. So the reason why this is so important, and this is why it's so powerful and why it works, is because they 
they give us what um, we call decrees. Maybe people would call them affirmations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the decree is simple because the, the, the wording is simple. Word, I am word. Mm -hmm. So when I say word, I am word, what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging myself as an energy being in physical form. I'm acknowledging myself that way. And I'm intending whatever I'm wording, whatever I'm saying. Mm. So this goes back to this whole idea that we're creating our reality with our thinking and with yeah. our speaking, with our emotions, moving those thoughts into the field. So when you say word, I am word through my relationship with the baby's dad, word, I am word through this court case, word, I am word through forgiveness, word, I am word, what the guides tell us is that just by saying that, we're present to who we are, spirit, yeah. and we lift up the situation to what they call the Christed frequency. This book is about frequency. Yes. It's about vibration. Yes. You know, I've been on the path, my goodness, you know, I've been on the path for a very long time, you know, 45, 50 years consciously, and then the past 22 years as a spiritual counselor in this community and a teacher. Um, and I've done the Course in Miracles for many years. I, I held groups in my home. I was very much involved in the Abraham work, Esther Hicks, and a lot of other channeling work over the yeah. years. But with discrimination, I wasn't just yeah. jumping all over the place. I always I always checked in with me as yeah. to whether or not this was in alignment with where I, where I had come in my own spiritual understanding. But I have never, ever encountered a body of work like this that I, that is so all-encompassing because what they're about doing is they say this is not an intellectual endeavor no. although the way it's written in the material is excellent yes. and it's not anything new but it's the way it's written really helps to really in, help us deepen our understanding of who we are you know and they say that we who we are is the Christ itself and when we have the wherewithal to say word I am word through this situation whatever the situation is is raised up to the Christed frequency. Mm. So what they tell us that they're doing is that they're not educating us in information. They're increasing the vibrational frequency of our bodies such yeah. that we are literally, and I mean this literally, physiologically, ascending while we're in the body. Yeah. Ascending and while everybody we're in the body. involved in the situation Feels is raised up. Yes. Which so is when you quite said word special. I am word through the law case, word I am word yeah. through the baby's dad, what you were doing was lifting up the baby's dad, lifting up the lawyers, lifting up all of the components of the situation to a higher frequency. And the beautiful thing about this work is we don't know we don't have to know how it's going to resolve. Yeah. We can just say my intention is that it's resolved. Yeah. Word I am word through the situation. It raises the situation up to the Christed frequency and then everything just happens. Yeah. I tell my clients, don't fall into the how hole. Yeah. The how, <laughs> the hole. how hole. The how hole. <laughs> you know, it, it's none of our business how something's going to happen. You know, people get so stopped in life. They come to me and they yeah. go, I'm in a nine to five job that I hate, although I'm making a lot of money. So it makes it really tough to leave. What do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what my work is. I'd say, you know what? The good news is you don't have to know what your work is. All you have to know is how you want your career to show up. So what I help them with is creating a statement like word I am word through being fully self-expressed in my soul's joy. 
Loving what I do. Imbued with the essence qualities of, and then I say to them, what qualities do you want associated with your soul's work? Contribution, fulfillment, fun, presence, abundance, consciousness, abundance, success, prosperity, synergy, collaboration, cooperation, and making a great difference on the planet. I say, okay, you got that now? <laughs> so if all of those qualities were present in work that would show up for you, a career, would you be a happy camper? Absolutely. Would you care what it is? No. So we don't have to know yeah. Yeah. what it is. All we have to do is know what we want. So we need to know the what, not the how. And that is a huge difference between the intuitive, heart-centered um, essential self way of living versus the ego because the ego is like how 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 when 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 how 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 when 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 and I know and I <laughs> control know control control and I, control control <laughs> yeah and the ego is you know I took an enneagram course for several years with my yoga teacher and um, I I learned in that class this is the work of Gurdjieff going all the way back to Gurdjieff that the ego is never going to be enlightened our ego is a tool yes. It's a like tool a for us. To, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a tool for us to navigate this realm. Yeah, you know, which is why no we have doubt. the personalities that we have. Yeah. But unfortunately, if we're not aware of our true nature as divine, we hide behind the mask of who we think we are, you know, or should be, without really no who we think we are is Megan and Patricia, but who we truly are is yeah. spirit in the body showing up as Megan and Patricia having this human experience. Yeah. So everybody is divine. Yeah, Everybody is spirit absolutely. in the body, including our beloved president. Including all, all of them. Know, all the bad guys, all the so-called bad guys. See, people misunderstand what to do about the political scene. They think it has to be attack, judgment, and blame, and there's a lot to be judged. Concerned about. Concerned, yes. Mm -hmm. And I find myself going there, too. Um, but if we could really move past the judgment to the compassion that they could be so incredibly messed up yeah. that they could behave this way uh, and hold them up word I am word through politics Absolutely. word I am word through the president word I am word through what's going on on the planet right now word I am word through all the suffering on the planet we're lifting it up yeah. which is why the word book and the word work has become after all these years has become the centerpiece of my life and yeah. I know that I will do it ongoingly yeah. and as I said the sixth book is coming out, and the seventh book is coming out. Oh, good. Which I know, which is already <laughs> I've, I've being I've literally written. read all of the books or listened to them more than three times each. All of them. Yes. I do. don't do that. I don't watch movies twice. I don't read books twice. I am, the, Every time I learn something new, I hear it differently. It is so fulfilling and comforting and empowering. So, and do you know why that's the case? Tell me. Okay. <laughs> when you read the book the first time, you can read it. And if it grabs you, then you're going to continue to yeah. work with it. Right? Yeah. It doesn't grab everybody right away. Right. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But I know a lot of people that didn't feel it was there, it was for them, and now they're just totally passionate about yeah. it like we are. So we'll read a paragraph and, we, and we'll get it and we'll go, wow, that's amazing. After we continue to work with the book for a while, and then especially reading the other books, and then we go back and listen to the first book again, and we'll read then a paragraph, we and we go, oh my God, that I'm was getting the this. seed for that. I understand <laughs> this now, where before I thought I understood it. Yeah. Why? Because our vibrational frequency is literally being raised to such a place where our perception changes, and when our perception changes, our landscape changes, including our ability to understand very complex information. Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving, giving, giving. Okay. So I love to ask at the end of each show for the guest to say a call to action for the audience. I have a hunch of what you might say, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. but please yeah. share the call to action with our audience, if you will. The first, it's going to be two-parter. That's The first fine. part is really own the truth of who you are. Really know that, that this material world is an optical delusion of consciousness. Quote, quote from Einstein, it's an optical delusion of consciousness that we're creating all the time with our thoughts and feelings. When we can own that and accept responsibility for that, that's just huge. That's the most important thing that I would like to impart. And, this, and so call to action would be do whatever it takes to really ground that wisdom in you. The second thing is buy the book, get the book. No, it may not be for you right away, but just even the guides say just having the book, holding the book uh, makes a difference in your energy. And even if you doubt it, take something in your life that is really troubling you right now and just word it. Word I am word through this relationship with so and so and so. Word I am word through this health challenge I'm dealing with. Word I am word through my financial struggle. You know, these are kind of common problems yeah. that we all deal yeah. with in the human experience. And buy the book, read it, and even if you're having a hard time getting into it, start wording something. And people say, well, it sounds so clumsy to say word I am word. What does that mean? In the book, they define word as God in action because we're God in action. I'll never forget in book five, um, the, uh, what the guides were saying was down deep that we, are, that we are very frightened on a core level. And Paul Selig, the, the channel, said, well, what could we possibly be frightened of, so afraid of on a core level? And they said, it's quite simple. The fact is that you are God in form. And you all are. God in form. And that's the first time I actually saw the G word spelled out like that, you know, and went, wow. So that's what to on a core level, we're afraid to embrace the truth of who we are yeah. because the power is so exponential when we own it. And when we come together in a collaborative, synergistic way, like doing these television shows, and getting this message out there. There cannot be too many of us yeah. doing shows like this. Yeah. Yeah. There cannot be. So for me, I think competition is, you know, it's kind of a, a non, listen, it's, it's, it's not necessary. Yeah. People are always competing and juggling, jockeying for, for leverage and space. We don't have to go there yeah. because each of us is a unique expression of the divine Right. Well, and there's and, nobody like anybody on the planet, so nobody's going to be doing what we're doing the way we're going to do it. And you know, competition served us really well for five hundred thousand years, and now the planet is so crowded <laughs> that competition is becoming collaboration. Period for yeah. natural resources for everything. So the more we can collaborate, the more creative we can be. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so oh, much for the so visit cute. today. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. This has been lovely. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. And I want to give special thanks to the Sandbox of Santa Barbara 
for hosting this filming and to Lauren Fries for her creative support and to Oniracom for their production and marketing expertise. Bye for now. This is Megan Joy Haverda, your host of One Hour of Sunshine. We will be skipping July 2nd due to the holiday, but we'll be back on July 16th with Carolyn Anderson and Catherine Roski of Living Co-Creation. Stay tuned to hear about their journey as sustainable community founders and as original cultural creatives who are still creating and manifesting today. Thanks for watching today and please subscribe and like each show on YouTube. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Megan. <laughs>